0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. 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 This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript the Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS in depth, and advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Codeship.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your test passed? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's Codeship. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically for fuss free continuous delivery. Check them out at Codeship.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Watch Me Code. Have you been looking for regular, high-quality video screencasts on building JavaScript done by someone who really understands JavaScript? Derek Bailey's videos cover many of the topics we talk about on JavaScript Jabber and are up on the latest tools and tricks you need to write great JavaScript. He also covers language fundamentals, so there's plenty for everybody. Looking over the catalog, I got really excited, and I can't wait to watch them all. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash code. This episode is sponsored by Component 1, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to whichmo.com and check them out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 121 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Joe Liss. Hi. Do you want to introduce yourself? Thanks for having me.
0: I'm Joe. I'm an entrepreneur, and I uh, do a lot of um, open source work in the JavaScript ecosystem.
1: Entrepreneur, I like you better already. (laughs) <laughs> don't you do Sudoku is that what it is
2: Sudoku uh, apps? Solitaire 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 okay yeah I knew it was a, a, a Solitaire game. web app oh really plug that
0: yeah well it's not I, I'm not <laughs> I need gobs and gobs of traffic for that so um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to get visitors one at a time but more like a thousand at a time sure it's uh it's an HTML5 Solitaire and it's completely ad monetized and the oh. traffic comes from Google so I I basically need lots and lots and lots of organic traffic to make it work.
1: Oh, I see. So you don't want us to put a link to it in our show notes so that our thousands and thousands of users can go through
0: it? <laughs> no, we should. we should definitely put a link. It's uh, com. We'll put a link.
1: Awesome. Well, cool. We brought you on because you put together this awesome tool called Broccoli. And I have to admit, I was getting ready to go try it out, but most of my apps are Rails, and I'm not really sure where to get started So before we get into that, I do want to ask, what is broccoli for those that don't know what it is and how to use it?
0: When you make JavaScript MVC apps, what you typically do is you have a lot of JavaScript and a lot of CSS in a lot of files, and you're going to have several compile steps to process all these files and to concatenate them together in some way or another. And so Broccoli is a build tool that lets you define these chains of uh, compile steps and then gives you uh, fast rebuilds. So um, it's conceptually similar to the Rails asset pipeline, except that it's not tied to uh, Ruby or Rails.
1: I like it better already. And I'm a Rails developer.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I come from Rails as well. And I noticed way before I, I wrote Broccoli, I noticed that we were doing this weird thing where we have JavaScript and the JavaScript has nothing to do with Rails whatsoever. But what we, what we would do a lot was, um, putting the JavaScript into a gem and then packaging it up for the Rails asset pipeline because the Ruby gems package manager is so great. And then the asset pipeline is so great. Um, so we, we would use that. We would kind of piggyback on this existing Rails infrastructure to uh, distribute JavaScript. Of course, that's completely broken because it's, it's tied to one specific backend and it shouldn't be.
1: Yeah. Usually what, what you're talking about is you pull in a library and the Ruby library has a vendor folder where you can put other things and, you know, other assets, basically. And that's all it is. is exactly. The entire yeah. library is just putting it where Rails knows to look for it.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: And yeah, that that does seem kind of broken to me as well. So how does Broccoli go about solving these problems?
0: So I think it's probably useful to think of it as um, two separate problems. One of them is package management, which um, is still kind of not really where we want to have it on the JavaScript side. And the other part is building. And so Broccoli solves the building part. So when you have the Rails asset pipeline Uh, what you might have is the slash slash equal require calls um, that tell you how to concatenate the files. And uh, you might also have SAS, which has import statements. And so implicitly from that, you get the concatenation order. And so the Rails asset pipeline puts these compilers together and makes them run really fast. And I wanted to have something like that, except backend agnostic. So what a lot of people were doing at the time when I wrote Broccoli, what I, what a lot of people are still doing is writing out build steps with grunt. And so the problem with that is what tends to happen is in practice, as you add more and more files, the build gets slower and slower. So uh, it's not unusual at all to see like 15, 20 second rebuild times. And so then you want to be, you go, okay, this is too slow. Every time I edit something, I need to wait 20 seconds till I reload it in the browser. And, and you try to do, you try to do partial rebuilds where you are smart about what you rebuild. But Grunt was never designed to do this reliably. So, for example, if you added one CSS file, you might, one SAS file, you might have to rebuild another SAS file because it includes the first SAS file. And so you, you have to know which parts you need to rebuild and which parts you can reuse from last time. And just if you wire together a, build definition with Grunt. It's not going to do that. Grunt definitions are basically glorified shell scripts. And so what I think we need is a dedicated build tool that plugs into something like Grunt, into a task runner. And Broccoli is is one such tool that provides the core build pipeline for the part of your process where you have a bunch of input files and uh, libraries, and then you run compilers, and you then you get a directory full of output files. So for this kind of frequent rebuild process, that's what Broccoli is for.
2: So it's explicitly only for the build process. It's not a, gen- a generic task runner. Is that not correct? at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. So okay. something like deployment or um, generators or uh, kicking off tests, that kind of stuff, that definitely lives in Grunt.
2: So I know when Broccoli first came out, it was compared a lot to Grunt and also to Gulp. And you're saying that it's not really a fair comparison because it could work alongside either of those tools or a totally different
0: tool. So it competes with Gulp, actually. Um, Gulp is another build tool. And I've, I've written a blog post about like why I think Broccoli has the right quote unquote architecture, but it it definitely is not, it is complementary to Grunt. So it doesn't seek to replace it. Awesome. Okay, that makes sense.
1: So you, you did mention the different frameworks. For example, you know, you have Angular, Number, and Knockout, and Backbone. Does it take anything special to run your build steps, or does it just work out of the box with those, because they're just JavaScript?
0: Typically, if you, if you just take Broccoli Core, what you find is you have a completely empty canvas, and you then go, okay, like, how do I assemble all these compilers that will put my files mm-hmm. together. So what you need for a complete build stack is actually not just Broccoli. Broccoli is just the framework sitting at the bottom, but you need a set of compilers, like mm-hmm. something that concatenates JavaScript, something that compiles SAS, maybe um, a CoffeeScript compiler, a uh, template compiler, um, that kind of stuff. So if you write a build definition for an average app, it actually turns, o- turns out to be quite a lot of steps. Um So it's not unusual to have like, let's say, 100, 150 lines of code in your uh, build definition file. And that's kind of asking people to write these build definitions from scratch every time they want to make an app. Seems a bit excessive. Like it's, it's too complex. The learning curve is too steep. And so something that we are trying in the Ember ecosystem is to make a default stack of compilers on top of Broccoli so that you can say, Ember new to do MVC and you get a to do MVC app with an existing build definition that you then can tweak, but you don't have to. You don't, there's no need to reinvent the complete process from scratch. And it's, so that's con- conceptually quite similar to how Rails works, right? Mm-hmm. Our Rails new my app works. It just gives you all this code that you can use to get started immediately. And the um, Rails asset pipeline is immediately functional. It has several compilers. It comes preloaded with uh, several compilers, and so what I think we're going to see, and I would, what I would like to see more of, is these uh, default stacks like Ember CLI that give you a uh, complete stack, a complete stack of compile steps, without having to do anything.
1: Very nice. I kind of want to change gears back to something we were talking about before. You said that if you just change one file here or one file there, um, you don't have to rebuild all of your assets. Is that what I heard? Is that, did I hear that right? Yeah. So, so how does that work exactly?
0: Traditionally, the way this has been done is with tools like Make and most build tools since then, they all try to do the same thing. The way it works is you specify your output files and then you specify Which files these output files depend on. And if you have multiple build steps in, in sequence, you're going to specify these intermediate files and then specify what those depend on. So you, you're kind of building the, this graph of file dependencies. And then when you change an input file, you know exactly which part of the graph to rebuild. And, and, and make is, make is completely based around comparing which file is newer, right? So when, whenever in, an input file is newer than an output file, it will rebuild it. But this turns out to be kind of hard because getting these dependency graphs right because they are very complex and it's very easy to have a subtle bug in there. And so then if there's if you get the graph slightly wrong, your build will become unreliable. And this is what a lot of the time people just type make clean all the time to force a complete rebuild.
2: Yep. Wipe it all out. I don't know what's going to happen.
0: Exactly, exactly, because you don't you don't trust the system, right? Yep. And another problem is that the dependencies are not known ahead of time oftentimes. So, for example, in a C file, you might have include statements at the top, include directives, or in a CSS file to stick with the web, you might have import statements. And actually, you only find out about the dependencies at build time. And, and so... With uh, make-type tools, people resort to all kinds of um, strange hacks to make that work. Um, And the third problem is it doesn't really take care of cleaning up intermediate files. And when you delete an input file, the corresponding output file doesn't get deleted. And that's not an academic edge case. That's really, really important because every time you switch branches, probably some file is going to be deleted or moved around. And so tools like make are notoriously bad at cleaning up the kind of leftover output files from previous builds.
3: It seems like a lot of the the tools in the web, you know, like you mentioned SAS or uh, Compass or Stylus, a lot of these have their own require, so to speak, their own way of locating dependencies. And consequently, I guess I'm wondering, can Broccoli do anything about those tools forcing themselves on you in terms of how dependencies are located? Because I don't know how you could do a partial build if you're not in control of the compile step. Does Broccoli have a solution for that, or is that just something that needs to change in the ecosystem?
0: Yes and yes. For some compilers, like CoffeeScript, you can obviously express the dependency very easily. So there's nothing complicated about that. You know exactly when to rebuild. But like you said, for something like SAS or Compass, it's harder. And there have been... Let me tell you, there's a set of solutions to this, um, and each of them has its own drawbacks, but all of them are possible with Broccoli. So what the Rails asset pipeline does is, with uh, SAS, every time you uh, include, you import a file, SAS will give the asset pipeline a callback. And so the, the asset pipeline, as a result, knows what the um, SAS file depends on. Of course, that only works because... The asset pipeline and sass are both written in Ruby. So Broccoli is written in uh, JavaScript, it runs on Node, and a lot of compilers are written in JavaScript these days. But it seems that the approach is a bit unsatisfactory. Another way the Rails asset pipeline does it is, so for example, to compile something like less, which is the less uh, CSS compiler is written in JavaScript. And so you cannot get the callback. And so the uh, less rails plugin for the asset pipeline, what it does is it uses a regex to parse out the imports ahead of time. And of course, like that seems like a really terrible. terrible. Yes, it seems like a really terrible hack, right? Um, and I, I think that should tell us some something that there is a problem with the asset pipelines requirement to know all the dependencies. Um, and so uh, with Broccoli, the way it works is a compiler plugin just takes a um, set of input files, like a, a tree of files, a directory, and it emits an output directory. And oftentimes the output directory will just contain one single output file. And the plugin itself is then responsible for figuring out when to rebuild. like. It should be smart about whether to rebuild at all and when it rebuilds, how much to rebuild. And you could easily think about if you have something like SAS or less, you could easily think about wrapping it in some code that does the same thing that the Rails asset pipeline does. Like it figures out the dependencies through a callback or th- through a regex. And then whenever those change, it will rebuild. And if they, if they don't change, if they haven't changed since the last build, it will just reuse the output directory from last time. But I think there is a, there, there would be a, a better approach to do this. And that requires kind of buy-in from compiler authors. Let me, let me back up a step. When you recompile a, um, SAS project, a SAS file, generally the performance is going to be, the time it takes is going to be linear with the number of input files. So if you have 10 input files, it might take one second. And if you have 50 input files, it might take five seconds. So on a typical size project, you very, very quickly get into performance territory where it's just too slow for the kind of continuous rebuilding that you want as a developer. So I think what will probably have to happen is that compilers like SAS start caching parts of their compile steps. So if you have 50 input files and um, you run SAS once, then it will compile everything. But when you run it a second time and only one of these files has changed, it will detect that 49 files still have the same timestamp and it will reuse a lot of the intermediate data structures like the parse tree, um, the AST, from last time. So if we do something like that, we get the rebuild time from big O of N from linear with the number of input files to constant time. Basically, if only one file has changed, then we're going to take a constant time to rebuild the entire project, no matter how big it is. And I think that's something that from a performance perspective and from a usability perspective is really, really crucial. And once we have that, it kind of extends to the case where no file has changed. So if the compiler were to do caching anyway, then it could just detect that um, no file has changed and reuse the complete build output from last time. And that way, we don't have to try and replicate the dependency graph outside the compiler, but all the complexity of figuring out which files depend on which other files is contained to within the compiler. So I've kind of tried to evangelize um, about this a little bit with uh, compiler authors. And what I generally s- seem to get is like a vague yeah that seems like it might actually be necessary but it's not completely clear that we want it. So like of course like we're we're going to need to see code um to figure out if this is really the the best approach and, and what kind of pitfalls we're going to encounter. But um I've I've seen I haven't gotten terrible pushback on, on that idea.
2: So just from you talking about that, it sounds like a lot of it depends on other people to implement features in the compilers. Is that a good summary of it?
0: In a way, yes. What we can always do, of course, if we just want a compiler getting a compiler running today, is put in these kinds of stopgap measures where we parse out the imports or um, some other approach that um, Robert Jackson has implemented in several plugins is, um, and there there is a common base class for that that takes away all the complexity behind that, is if you pass a tree of files into the compiler, if none of the files have changed, then we just do not kick off the compiler again. So if you are careful only to only pass your SAS files into the SAS compiler and no JavaScript files, then if you change the JavaScript files, which live in a separate directory, the SAS compiler will not run again. So these kinds of... We can always replicate the kind of clues that other system systems implement. You can always express these on top of the uh, Broccoli architecture. But I think, importantly, Broccoli allows you to push all of this logic down into the compiler, which I think in the end is where we want it to live. That's my hypothesis in a way.
2: Sure, that makes sense.
1: Does this work with, you know, when you're doing things with, say, SAS, where the compiler is written in Ruby and not in JavaScript, does that affect things at all?
0: Broccoli is was um, intentionally written to just use the file system. So you can just um, call into a Ruby, and you can just kick off a Ruby process. Okay. It's obviously going to be a little bit slow. So that's, there's always performance problems when you hand off to a completely... Different language, but this is actually kind of this has come in very useful for native libraries like libsass. I'm a I'm a huge fan of libsass. Um, it's a C reimplementation, a C++ reimplementation of SAS. And so in my in my benchmark, it was um, basically 10 times faster than Ruby SAS. So on a data set where Ruby SAS would take two to five seconds on like a typical app-sized file. Where Ruby Sass would take two to five seconds, uh, Lib Sass would t- take two hundred milliseconds. It's
3: just shocking, honestly.
0: <laughs> yes, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And so, seeing that kind of difference made me kind of appreciate that it may not always be sensible to um, implement stuff in Ruby or JavaScript, because having delays like two or two to five seconds in your in your build in your rebuild is clearly quite painful. So um and 200 milliseconds is just barely noticeable. So libsass seems really really awesome. It's unfortunately not quite a replacement for ruby sass yet. And uh we also don't have a um sort of native replacement for compass yet. But just from the performance difference alone it's I think it made me appreciate how important it is to support native libraries. And broccoli has no problem at all calling into libsass through a node wrapper and just having that run against the files in the file system.
1: So I, I want to talk a little bit about implementation here. If I wanted to get started with Broccoli, say, on a project with uh, Express or Rails or something, um, how would I go about doing that? Do I just put all my assets in the same folder and install the plugins and then say, go do your thing with those? Or uh, s-
0: Sort of, yes. But the problem is that you would have to assemble the entire build Pipeline yourself. Mm-hmm. So let's say CoffeeScript and Sass, and then the uh, slash slash equal require things and stuff like that. And then you have a vendor directory. So there's a bunch of things that that you would, and then maybe a pub public directory with an HTML with an HTML HTML file in it. So there's a bunch of things that kind of come together. And uh, to replace Rails projects, in particular, we are missing the a, a broccoli plugin for a sprockets type require directive parser. And it's kind of this on, like, on my list of things that I would really like to write. Uh, and it's not terribly hard, but uh, I haven't gotten around to it. And I don't think anyone else has gotten around to it so far. So there's, there's no way to just parse out the uh, slash slash equal require calls with uh, broccoli at the moment, which is kind of a bummer. But, uh, once we have that kind of compiler, what I would like to maybe do is provide a, at least like a sample Brock file, a sample build definition to, uh, show this is how you would take a Rails project and then basically just build the same thing using Broccoli without calling Rails.
1: What about something that's not no. Rails that doesn't have all the weird directives and stuff for the, uh, asset pipeline?
0: So you're typically going to have something, right? Like, how are you going to concatenate your JavaScript files?
3: Yeah, so usually, Chuck, you might pick JS, or you might pick AMD or right. something like those, and then you'd use the corresponding Broccoli plugin to do the tracing and concatenation. Yeah, Makes sense to me. Is it painful at all to hook that up to use the correct uh, plugin? She probably is biased, but I would say it's no harder than it is in Grunt or, or uh, Gulp or any of the other ones.
0: That's good is to that hear.
3: To
0: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a good judge because I know broccoli. I I'm, like I I know it so well that it's
3: right.
0: It's it's hard for me to judge how sure. how hard the onboarding is. Have you
3: talked about the server versus the output directory context thing that that broccoli does? That's something that makes it rather unique.
0: Does it actually? Uh, so I the way I think about it is it's just the equivalent of um, Rails serve and Rails precompile.
3: So I suppose if you're not coming from Rails and you're coming from Grunt or Gulp, is an interesting piece, or even Make. But what it is is Broccoli has the ability to either take its, you know, its input and its output and put it directly to an output file, like a build, or it can actually serve it up as a web server that will compile on the fly that you could just link to. Yep. Which is really cool.
0: And this might seem like a small detail, but um, something that I was very careful about was making sure that the way broccoli build and broccoli serve, meaning like the one-off build, the one-off pre-compile- pre-compilation and the um, continuous serving, these two builds use exactly the same code path. So when you serve, it's just that the same process gets called over and over again, but it's still the same thing. And the reason why that is important is if you have different code paths for serving and for pre-compilation, what's going to happen is that your app works great locally, and then you deploy and stuff breaks. And that actually happens all the time on Heroku. Apparently, like 50% of their support requests are about the Rails asset pipeline, about like wow. oh pre-compilation goodness. issues.
3: Really, <laughs> wow. Really yeah. love that. That's crazy. So you talked a little bit how Make leverages timestamps to do the incremental build and how make is notoriously bad for switching branches because it can't handle file deletes and additions properly.
0: How does Broccoli solve that problem? The way Broccoli thinks about it is, if you have one plugin, let's say a CoffeeScript compiler that takes a um, directory full of files of what whatever file type, including some .coffee files. So the CoffeeScript compiler is going to pass through all the files and... The .coffee files, it's going to compile and turn into .js files. So what's going to happen is the CoffeeScript plugin remembers the timestamps and the sizes of the input Coffee files. And then while it runs, it also puts the output of the CoffeeScript compiler into a cache. And next time it runs... It just checks the last modified times and the sizes of each file. And if it exists in the cache, it gets pulled out of the cache. And so the the actual CoffeeScript compiler doesn't get invoked. It just is an instantaneous operation where it pulls everything out of the cache. And so that kind of works around a lot of the issues. Like if a file gets deleted, of course it doesn't. It's not going to appear in the output again um, because we don't try to rebuild it. If a file, if a timestamp jumps back in time, then we're not going to get confused, but we're going to detect that the timestamp is older now and we still need to rebuild. So this approach is a lot more robust against a lot of these kind of edge cases that cause Make to have problems. And in particular, one way to think about it is that we just infer file identity from the combination of path uh, last modified time, and file size. But we're not doing any other kind of time comparison logic like Make does. It's just a shortcut. Um We could also just uh, MD5 hash the files and uh, get the same result.
3: Got it. Very cool.
1: I'm curious, do you have kind of a future direction you intend to take, Broccoli? Are there things you want to add to it?
0: So there are some changes to the um, plugin API coming up. There's actually two refactorings. Um, one of them is going to come very soon and the other one is maybe two or three months off or something like that. And that's kind of, that kind of comes with that being pre 1.0, I guess. So it's basically what, what's happening right now is fixing some performance issues and cleaning up some of the API that we, that we are exposing, uh, while we still can, while, while it's still easy before there is an, a huge uh, number of applications being built on top of it. And then beyond that, like I said earlier, I think uh, I'm hoping that a decent amount of improvements in terms of how we are smart about rebuilding is going to happen in the compilers, actually, and not in Broccoli. But I'm sure we'll also have some more um, base classes for Broccoli plugin that implement all kinds of caching. And... I think beyond that, Broccoli is basically done. It's a very simple piece of software. Uh, it's less than a thousand lines of code. And what I what I really want to see is default stacks like Ember CLI that are based on Broccoli, but so you don't, as a user, you don't have to think about Broccoli anymore. It just works.
1: One thing that just occurred to me too, um, does Broccoli play nicely with package managers like Bauer and CDNs?
0: So that's actually playing together with package managers is one of the original use cases because something that that was very obviously missing from the JavaScript ecosystem and that is still missing is um, the ability to say this piece of code depends on another piece of code on another package. So I'm going to add this package to my like package.json or something and it gets pulled in and then I can just call require at the top of my file or import and I can use it in my code immediately. And what we're doing at the moment is just dropping stuff into vendor directories, which is pretty terrible. So there's kind of two parts to that problem. One of them is we have to have a distribution mechanism for browser-side JavaScript and uh, CSS as well, and images maybe. So that's a package manager. So Bower is, I think, The most promising one at the moment. Some people are talking about, uh, and using NPM for browser side JavaScript. And that's maybe an option as well. But I, I'm feeling fairly positive about Bower. So the problem with Bower is, or not problem, but just like this, where the scope of Bower ends is it just gives you a, a set of files. When you depend on a package, it just says, okay, here are your files. Now do whatever you want with them. And you have to figure it out yourself, um, how you're going to include them. And um, JavaScript until now hasn't had a way to require other files. And so we built these tool- with these with systems like AMD or CommonJS on top of it to kind of add require calls after the fact. And this is kind of the part where the build step comes in, because being able to distribute packages and express dependencies between packages is useless until you can also, in your JavaScript code, express which files you depend on specifically and import things from other files. And so the one thing that I'm really, really excited about is the ES6 module syntax. And my general idea of what I want to happen is I want there to be a default stack um, based on Broccoli that uses the ES6 module system and parses out the ES6 import statements, and then that is going to be backed by Bauer. So if you import something, it will automatically search through all the libraries that you have pulled in via Bauer. And that is kind of like my long-term idea of where I would like things to be. And I, I'm not set on like the specific tools, but I think this is something we definitely want to make JavaScript great. It's basically we want to have the same experience that we have with uh, something like Ruby, where adding a a dependency on another package is just I'm going to add this line to my gem file, I'm going to reinstall the gems, and then I'm going to say require some module in my code, and uh, it's going to be available. And I I want that to happen in JavaScript land. So I I think to kind of summarize that, what I want is something sitting on top of Broccoli, like a default build stack that automatically pulls in files from Bower, etc. that uses the ES6 module system specifically.
1: Cool.
2: Do you know anything about the ETA for that? I mean, as the spec is still, it's kind of in the final stages of being worked on, if I understand correctly. Is this something yeah. you can actually start building towards right now? Or are you waiting for things to settle down a little bit?
0: Yes, and yes. So there was a recent change in the ES6 uh, module syntax, and I think it is probably not completely stable. I suspect that there might be still a few changes coming in, minor changes maybe. Um, so it's, it's definitely still a draft. And the transpiler from ES6 modules into ES5 is still, I don't know if it's alpha or beta, but it, it was just rewritten. Um I think Brian Donovan did it. And so it it looks much better now. It's much um it covers edge cases much better. But it is probably the transpilation step probably still has problems here and there where things don't where the semantics don't map completely um correctly. Um so that is that is something that definitely still needs to stabilize. Um the reason why I'm so excited though about the ES6 module syntax is that is is that it's static. So unlike AMD or CommonJS, you can do static analysis on JavaScript files and you know which files they import. It's not possible to kind of import a variable module or something. And so being able to statically parse out imports um, and then based on that, being able to figure out which files you need to concatenate, that's a huge, hugely important feature. And so I, I think the ES6 module syntax is definitely, um, and it, ha- it has other other features as well. But in terms of building, that is like one of the really important ones. The fact that it's completely static, but still that part is is still I think it's basically alpha. And another part to make that happen is power uh, needs to get better. So there, I think there are a bunch of cases that Bauer just doesn't cover very well, um, that we are kind of used from something like Bundler on Ruby. Um, and that's because Bundler is a pretty complex piece of software and it does a lot of things really great. And no one has gotten around to implementing them for Bower. And something that is missing from Bower is the ability to say, okay, so here's my package, but if you include an ES6 JavaScript file, this is the directory that you should be looking in, like the lib directory. It's usually so. There's nothing in Bower or on top of Bower that gives us the ability to communicate. When you want to include files, JavaScript files from this package, please look in inside this subdirectory. Um, so we're we're still going to need to add these kinds of things. It seems very trivial, but it all needs to be specced out. We always need to think about all kinds of edge cases and how to how to implement it the right way. So those pieces are missing as well and. I think those are the two, two big things that really need to be worked on. So the, the Bower part, because it, because we don't have a way to, um, say, look inside the lib directory to pick up source files, the Bower part is basically unusable right now. And we're still, we still have to resort to manually linking up files rather than, um, having them automatically picked up when you import them. And we're not we're not terribly far away from it, but I don't know that anyone is working on it at all all right now. So I would really like that to happen, but I don't have an ETA um, simply because I'm not working on it. I don't I don't know if anyone is. And the the ES6 module stuff I think that's going to shape up over the coming year maybe it's just going to incrementally stabilize as people start using Ember CLI, which uses the uh, ES6 module system. People are going to discover bugs and we are going to iterate on the, on the spec.